All right. Grace. Now, this morning, it, it, it looks different for everybody, I think, depending on what kind of church you grew up in. Uh, grace is, it can be very different. It, it, it can be tricky. Um, I, I grew up in a church that was not uh, very grace-filled. It was very much so legalistic. Um, you, you were kind of, you know, if you did everything good and right, then God liked you and loved you. And if you did anything wrong, even sin one time, you better get resaved because God is going to blow you up. That's kind of how I was raised. And, uh, and I came up in a very, you know, legalistic, the times I was at church and, and, and sat under that. And even right after I got saved by Christ and his glorious grace, I, I stumbled in legalism um, because that's what I, I thought you have to do these things for God to love you and for God to want you, and, um, which was really strange because my grandfather was a very heavy grace preacher, but we fall in that trap, don't we, into the performance trap. Even when we hear about the grace of God, we fall into the performance trap where we feel like we, man, maybe God will love me or maybe God will have favor on me if I'm just better or if I'm good or if I don't you know, say that word this week or think that thought this week, or feel that way this week. But today I want to talk about grace, because grace is, I believe, the most misunderstood, and most, one of the most misrepresented doctrines in the Bible. It probably competes with election a little bit for the trickiness of it, but it's probably one of the most misrepresented and misunderstood doctrines in the Bible. And in a lot of churches, you, see, you kind of see it go one way. You either see a super, super grace-heavy church, where it's kind of like, Hey, this is your license to sin. Come down, pray some prayers, sign a card. We'll dunk you in some water. And then it's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Some fire insurance. You turn, now you don't have to burn kind of thing. If you've ever experienced that, right? Like, like some people preach grace that way. Hey, man, just come and get, you, you know, come and get your letter stamped. That way, you, when you get to heaven, there's no question, regardless of how you live your life. I don't believe that to be the grace that's in the Scripture. And then there's this other thing. Um, which is called legalism, or it's kind of like God will have grace on you if you do everything right. It's kind of like, <laughs> why do I need grace then, right? And some of you, regardless of your background or where you come from, you may experience one or the other. But what I want to do is to just talk about grace from my heart. And the way I've seen grace through the Word and the way grace has been applied to my own life and from experience and, and seeing the gospel, I just want to talk this morning about grace. First thing this morning, if you're taking notes, grace is not a have-to with God. It's a want-to. See, check this out. God is not obligated to give anyone grace. God does not have to give anyone grace this morning. He did not have to save us. He did not have to send his one and only son for sure to the earth. He didn't have to do any of those things. But God, in his own sovereign good plan, wanted to do those things. He wanted to administer grace. And I want you to see this this morning because there are some very, 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 very true things about God and his character this morning. Number one, God would have been justified condemning us. You say, oh, TJ, <laughs> Put the brakes on, man. God is super nice and super kind and super loving. I absolutely agree with all of those statements, but he would have been justified condemning us. If God would have, instead of the cross, I don't know, blew the earth up with napalm, he would have been justified. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. just look at the flood. There were sinners that rebelled against a holy, righteous God. God floods the earth. He was justified. 
He wasn't evil. He wasn't wrong. He was justified in condemning. Say, TJ, are you sure? Well, yeah, Ephesians 2.1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sin in in which you once walked. So see, we are all sinners. Every single one of us in this room, no one stands guilt-free. We're all sinners. You're like, bro, you know, I've never even stolen a piece of gum. Well, your pride for never stealing a piece of gum is sin. You're a sinner too. So every single one of us across the board, we are guilty of sin. And you know what that means? That means that we are, God is justified if he would have condemned us. Why? Because God is holy. You've heard me say it a bunch of times, Isaiah chapter 6, when he looks up, he sees the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. There's a bunch of smoke and thunder and weird stuff going on. And then he's leveled by the miraculous power of God. There's this separateness, this clear, whoa, 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 you're holy and I'm not. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a generation of unclean lips. Like, I, I can't look at you. I can't see you. You're something different than me. You're holy. So listen, because we are sinners and because God is holy, he would have been justified to condemn us. Rather than being patient and loving and long-suffering and and going to the cross willingly like a lamb led to the slaughter, he could have said, forget all of you. He could have. And I don't want to minimize this morning the incredible fury that is our God. But here's something else interesting. I, I, I want to say this to move on, but because we're sinners, because God is holy, he would have been absolutely justified in condemning every single one of us. Check this out. God would have also been glorified in condemning every single one of us. Put the brakes on. Not only would God have been justified in condemning every single one of us, he would have also been glorified in blowing us all up. And you say, TJ, I don't know if that's consistent with Scripture. Well, you remember that part in the Old, Old Testament where we, we teach all our kids in Sunday school? It's awesome the things we teach our kids, right? But Pharaoh goes into the sea and what happens? What happens? Does anybody know? He's swallowed up, right? Like God allows the sea to close. And I mean, God just drops the hammer on Pharaoh and all these chariots and horses and they're all just kind of blown up in that moment, right? Anybody remember the songs that they sang and, and, and the testimonies that they told for generations among the children of Israel? What did they point back to that gave God glory? when God led his people across dry land and closed the sea on Pharaoh. God was glorified when he condemned Pharaoh. He said, whoa, 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 TJ, I'm still not tracking. Hold on, but what about when God cast Satan out of heaven? See, there's this cool little part in Scripture where it says that he fell like lightning. Can you imagine in in that moment Kind of the atmosphere in heaven. I mean, look at this picture with me. God's sitting on the throne. God's doing his God thing, right? And Satan comes along. Satan's like, hey, I think I can do this. I think I should really be on the throne. And God's like, and he's done. Like he, he unleashes. It's the first time that we really see God exacting some kind of incredible wrath on someone. Think about all the created beings and angels in heaven. They've been in heaven around the infant one created by him, and they caught a new glimpse of him. And you know what everyone did in that moment? They stood in awe. He can do that too. (laughs) Did you see that? Right? 
I don't know what the conversations were like in heaven, but what happened when God exacted his justice and his judgment, his condemnation on Pharaoh, he was glorified. When he did the same thing to Satan, he was glorified. So now let me, let, let me, let me step, in, step into some scary waters with you, okay? You say, well, TJ, that's a little Old Testament, right? Like, that's Old Testament, bro. God doesn't really work that way. There's a little story in the book of Acts. It's after the cross. There were these two people. Anybody remember anyone named Ananias and Sapphira? So they sold some property, had this little exchange, and they were like, we're going to tithe and give this money to God. Super cool. Well, then they were dishonest to the apostle and to the Holy Spirit. Does anyone remember what happened to them? Somebody say it real loud. They die, right? Let's be a little more clear. God killed them. Hold on a second. You lied to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Satan that killed them. They were struck dead in that moment. I know everybody's like, whoa, bro, put the brakes on, right? This is making me feel uncomfortable. Good, because it gets a lot better. Do, do your homework this week and go read what happens after they're struck dead. All right, I'll, I'll cheat. I'll give you a little, little hint. Scripture says the church exploded. It's, it said that people began to be one to Christ in droves. The, the church began to multiply and grow. People stood in awe and many signs and wonders and miracles happened. So listen, let me hear me very clear. God could have been justified in condemning every single one of us. Not only would he have been justified, but God would have also been glorified if he sent every single one of us to hell. You know why? Because we're sinners. And when he sent us to hell, it would shine a light on his holiness and on his righteousness and on his inability to let sin just go. <laughs> God would have been justified in condemning us and he would have been glorified in condemning us. Listen to this though, but God chooses to glorify himself by redeeming us. <laughs> I hope you see that this morning. Like I, I hope you get this picture. God could have been justified condemning you and me. God could have been glorified. He could have exalted itself by just unleashing his judgment and wrath on the earth, which he will one day, right, on unbelievers and those who war against him, right? Like he's going to do that. But listen, God chose to glorify himself. He chose as the way to be lifted up by redeeming undeserving men and women like you and like me. <laughs> Man, I hope you see that. Listen to this. We get redeemed and he gets the glory. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 23. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. God, God keeps us humble, doesn't he? It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Listen, God ensures that everything is for our good and for his glory, even when we are undeserving. When he could have wiped us out, he chose to glorify himself by saving you and me. Man. All right, if you're taking notes, this is point number two. Understanding where we come from and what we deserve makes grace great. If you don't take notes, I'd advise that you start taking notes maybe when you hear something that you want to remember that the Lord says it's, it's cool to be able to jot it down. 
That was all free. Understanding where we come from and what we deserve makes grace so great. Listen, we are sinners. We've kind of covered that already. Romans 3.23 says, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody in the room. Nobody. You're like, but what about brother so-and-so, man? I've never, he's never even been mad. What about sisters? Listen, no one stands innocent. And I want to be honest with you about grace, because sometimes grace is preached in such a way as, well, you're just a sinner, and we're all sinners, and we're going to be sinners, so don't really war against your sin. Don't really try to fight against it. We're just going to be sinners. Just accept grace and continue to live. Listen, sin always has a consequence. Do you hear me this morning? Always. That's why Paul said, should we, since we have grace, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Should I just keep sinning so that God can keep pouring out grace? Absolutely not. He didn't die for cheap grace. For grace that you punch like a ticket so you get out of free, you know, get out of jail free card. Hear this. Sin always has a consequence. The purpose of grace is to mature you and to bring you out of your sin into holiness with Christ. Do you hear me? The purpose of grace is to bring you out of your sin and into holiness with Christ. You say, well, TJ, I'm just kind of enjoying my, my sin right now. That's... It's fun for a season. It is. Sin is enjoyable for a season. It satisfies the fleshly and sinful desires in our heart. But you know what it can never do? Satisfy us eternally. It can never give us peace. It can never give us joy. And sin for a season will feed longings in our heart that are sinful and broken. But you know what happens? Sin always runs out, and we, always, we are always left busted and broke. Sin's like that old car. I've told you guys that a million times. I, have a 19, I had a 1985 Camaro when I turned 16. I was like, Dad, I want a sports car. He was like, here. <laughs> it was not a sports car. <laughs> he was like, you want it to be cool? Make it cool. I was like, well, we'll both be uncool. Um, but like that car... I used to tell people all the time, I tell Taylor this all the time, she's like, TJ, you need to get gas. I'm like, we can go to Canada on that. Always. That's kind of my response. We need gas. We can go to Canada on that. Like, I, I trusted this faulty thing over and over and over, and there were two or three days during high school where I was like, Dad, TJ, where are you? I'm at the railroad tracks. I ran out of gas again. <laughs> and it was kind of a thrill, you know? It's kind of exciting. Can we make it? Can we make it? Me and all my buddies. But you know what? Inevitably, every single time, the fun ran out, and we were standing on the side of the road, super hot, super miserable, and so frustrated. And then my dad was mad. Sin's the same way, but has way worse consequences. It's fun in the moment, especially when there's a group of people rallying you on, keep going, keep going, we'll make it, we'll make it, we'll make it. And then the car runs out of gas, and we're stuck, and we're broken, our shame. So we are sinners. But number two, if you're taking notes, our effort is not enough. Not only are we sinners, but our effort is not enough. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, 8-9. through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Not only are we all sinners, but we can't do anything to make it better. Are you kind of seeing the, the trend here? We're like, TJ, where's the good part? Where's the great part you talked about? Hang with me. Listen, nothing that you do, nothing that I do can gain or earn the favor of God. All of 
our church attendance, all of our morality, man, all of our non-drinking or non-smoking or non-cursing or whatever your holier-than-thou thing checks off for you, whatever you do to earn God's favor or to make the community think better of you will not get you into heaven and will not earn God's love for you. Matter of fact, he said this in Amos. I, I hate... I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies stink to me. See, God was saying, man, when it's just, when it's just going through the motions, when it's not real relationship, when it's not real submission to me, when it's not real, not real humility, what you're doing in here on Sunday morning just kind of stinks to me. What you're doing in your, your, your morality just kind of, it's kind of like an idol. You like your reputation more than you like knowing me. So we're sinners, and, and, and then our effort is not enough. But listen to this. I want you to hear this. Even our ability to choose God and the freedom that he offers on our own terms is often undermined by our absolute rebellion and spiritual depravity. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, there's this war going on inside of me, the things that I want to do. Listen, this is spirit-filled, saved Paul. This isn't lost Paul talking. This is saved Paul. The things that I want to do, I can't do. Like, God, I'm still screwing up. I'm still dropping the ball. I'm still messing up here. The things that I shouldn't be doing, those come easy to me. Even our ability to choose God and the freedom he offers on our own is undermined by our absolute rebellion and spiritual depravity. Listen, you say, are you sure about that, TJ? Second Peter 2.19, they promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever masters them. Listen to Titus 3.3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Listen to Galatians. Galatians 4.8-9. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things which were no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how is it that you desire to turn back to those old things? Listen, even our ability to choose the right thing and to choose God and to want God is perverted by our own depravity, our own sinfulness. But listen, when we really understand grace, when we understand those three things, that, that we are sinners and we can do nothing good to earn God's favor, and that even our ability to choose God is perverted by our own spiritual depravity and our own rebellion. Listen, that's why grace leads to rejoicing because Christ on his own, by his own power and his own will, redeemed us. He knew we were sinners on the slave block of sin. He knew that sin was our master. So Christ comes on the scene, not out of a have to, but out of a want to, out of obedience to the Father, and he fulfills the task. He dies on the cross, and he buys your freedom. <laughs> Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Anybody know the next word? Somebody yell it. That's a conjunction, Right? And what that does, a conjunction, doesn't, what's it make you do to the first part of the sentence and the second part of the sentence? Kind of ties them together, but doesn't it shift your focus? It's kind of like, mm, let me look at this right here. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Listen, you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, and we deserve death and hell. But, <laughs> thank God for a hallelujah conjunction, right? Right? 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it's true this morning that your effort's never going to be enough. But Christ's effort was enough. Whereas before we were judged on the basis of our own performance and sinfulness, we are now judged according to the effort and work of Christ Jesus. Therefore, we stand justified and fully forgiven in the presence of God. Do you hear me today? Not by works. God wanted it that way. So that nobody in this room could stand up and pat their chest and say, look what I did to earn God's favor. Look what I did to earn God's salvation. That way God can get all the glory and say, look what I did to buy you back out of slavery. Look what I did to bring you out of your slavery to sin. I did this. I'm glorified. (laughs) We are redeemed. Christ's effort was enough. And listen, he chose us. Our ability to choose him and the freedom he offers was undermined by our absolute rebellion and spiritual depravity. But God chose us. Listen to John 15, 15 through 16. No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. Listen, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give to you. It turns the tables, doesn't it? It's not your work. It's not all your, your good behavior. It's not your church attendance. Listen to this, though. It's not your lack of work or your lack of church attendance. It's not because you do drink those things or say all those words or flick somebody off going down the highway. It's not because of those things that God does or does not like you or love you or want you. It's because he chose you. If you know him today, it's because he chose you. He wants you. He knows you're a sinner. That's why he gave you a savior. He knows you couldn't do enough. That's why he did enough. And he knows that on our best day, on our very best day, we would still not choose him. We would chase cheap thrills, temporary instant gratifications. And that's why him being so loving and so glorious chose us. Grace is an amazing thing this morning. Amen? Couldn't do anything to earn it. He gave it out freely because he loves you, he wants you, and he chose you. Let's pray this morning. Father God, Thank you so much for grace. God, Lord, there's, we can't skirt the issue. We're all sinners. God, and we can't do enough to earn your love. And God, on our best day, we wouldn't choose you. God, that's just, we choose cheap idols. We do it even after we know you. But God, we have freedom today. We have new life today. And grace has the final word in our lives today because you performed well on the cross. You gave up your life and you shed your blood so that we could have the forgiveness of our sin, the redemption of our souls. You did that for us and for your own glory. And God, we are forever grateful. So today, God, I pray that we would just, God, I pray that we would just look at grace. I pray that we would have an appropriate view of grace. And God, Lord, that By pursuing you and pursuing a holy life, we honor your grace. Grace that was freely given. 
So God, we want to serve. We want to work. We want to evangelize. God, Lord, we want to do missions. Lord, we want to be a church built on love. We want to do all those things because of the grace you've given, not to earn the grace that you have. We want to do it as a response. So God, we love you, we honor you, and we adore you this morning, God. And I pray, if there's a young man, young woman, old man, old woman, who have never experienced grace, I pray that you would allow their eyes to be open, their ears and their hearts to be open, that they would see that you offer salvation through nail-scarred hands, God. You offer salvation through the blood of your Son, God. And all they have to do is repent of their sin, trust you as Savior, God, and you'll do the work that only you and the Holy Spirit can do, God. You'll convert their heart. So we entrust this time of response to you, and we'll sing to you because you're good and because you're glorious, because you are the God of all grace. In Jesus' name, amen.